Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. And my name is Jeremy. And we're here to discuss the Uncanny X-Men number 219, uh, cover date of July 1987, on sale April 7th of 1987, cover price 75 cents. This one's titled Where Duty Lies, and this month, Spider-Man, Peter Parker, proposes to Mary Jane. In the pages of the X-Men? No, no, in the pages of, in, in this very same month in comics, in the pages of Amazing Spider-Man, Peter Parker proposes to Mary Jane. Oh. Little factoid. Spoilers, next issue, she says no. <gasps> but she changes her mind eventually. Oh, okay. Are we around the time period where uh, Hobgoblin's identity is revealed in that famous uh, cover? Yeah, that was last month. Oh, okay. All right. I owned that issue. That was like, uh, I used to go down to this gas station down the street called, I don't think it matters. I think it was PDQ, but I don't remember. And uh, they had comics uh, on the, the news uh, sh- shelves, as, as they would. And I would usually buy anything that was G.I. Joe or Transformers related, uh, including, uh, what was it, um, G.I. Joe, wasn't there like Battle Files or something? Where it was, it was uh, really- Special Missions. Well, there was Special Missions, but there was also like a four-part limited series where they, they did all the character bios and they did like all the vehicle stats and and they were really boring. Oh yeah, I think I think I think I I know what you're talking about. And yes, they were just stats. <laughs> they were just st- stats. And then uh, G- Transformers would have like GI Joe versus Transformers and yep. and Transformers. I don't think there was any other crossovers or limited editions with Transformers. But anyways, when I would run out of those things to buy, oh um, heck yeah, there was there was Headmasters. I think that was later on, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. That was when the movie came out. Yeah. But when I ran out of those I, and I had extra money and I wanted to buy a comic book, I would just pick uh, comic books that had neat covers. And one of the neat covers was that issue, as well as uh, an issue of Cloak and Dagger featuring Doctor Strange. And the cover said, Doctor Strange has too many house cats, but cats was spelled K-A-H-T-S, I think, or K-H-A-T-S. <laughs> I don't remember, but it was super sweet. Yeah. Yeah, um, that's what I used to do. Other things that are going on in comics now are, I, I believe Batman Year One is over and Batman Year Two is beginning, and Watchmen is also coming to a close. At this point in my life, the only Batman that exists is reruns of Batman 66. <laughs> that's not true. I actually did have a few Batman issues uh, that I had picked up on random road trips. And I had no idea what was going on inside them because they were continuations of various stories. I think I have a random Batman versus KG Beast issue somewhere. No, I don't have any. I don't <laughs> even remember who the villain of, of my Batman issues was. But I will say, though, I love Batman 66. It's one of my all-time favorite shows. Uh, the other day I was at a, a store and they had a uh, oversized VHS clamshell edition of Batman the movie, which is, I picked it up and I put it on my shelf. <laughs> it's so cool. <laughs> I don't know if the movie works and I'll probably never find out. It's all about this clamshell. Cool. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, I do regret that I didn't get to get a, get a photo taken with Adam West yeah. at, at the Batmobile with Burt Ward. I mean, Adam West looks the same. Burt Ward, he's gotten a little heavier. Well, maybe at the so next... So it was kind of like, move to the back, Burt Ward. <laughs> well, maybe I could be Robin, and, and you could take the picture. <laughs> Burt, will you take our picture? <laughs> That'd be pretty funny. Yeah, yeah. I'm probably going to have the same regret about not seeing Stanley when he was in town, but what else? What are you, you going to do? 
I don't know. You're gonna you're gonna do the next episode of Danger Room podcast, X Men comics commentary, Jeremy. Oh, well, this is this is issue two nineteen, as you mentioned, and on the cover it says, "Welcome to the X Men Havoc," and it's the X Men who are uh, intimidating Havoc. I'm not a fan of this cover, but it does give you an idea of what's inside art wise. <laughs> I, you, I don't figure you mean that in a nice way <laughs> i don't <laughs> <laughs> um yeah if this is on a t-shirt i probably probably, probably this, don't buy this it. doesn't make it to a t-shirt no. <laughs> this is a t-shirt that nobody buys it's on like the discount bin because yeah. nobody realizes that these are the x-men the drawing of wolverine here looks like a figure that would have been in uh spider ham yeah like I, I don't know if he's like pig wolverine or i don't know or troll wolverine he's got big giant lips and it's crouched over everybody has like a weird similar smile like they're trying to copy um oh i don't know what's his face i can't even think of his name now i don't know <laughs> never mind never but mind that part what i what i do notice is that wolverine has one arm on one side of rogue and one arm on the other side of rogue which must be really uncomfortable he's like threatening havoc but how can he do it with her on either side of his arms i don't know <laughs> it doesn't make any sense because it also makes his arm look like it's as tall as he is well at first i thought his one of his arm was like through her body and i was like what is going on yeah I don't know. It's not a good drawing. No. Uh, yeah. So, anyways, inside uh, we find that this is guest penciled by Brett Blevins. Did he do the cover? He must have. I don't know. I can look it up. <laughs> it's not that important. But, yeah, let's let's look that up. In the meantime, Chris Claremont's the writer. Dan Green is inking. So we got that going for us. Tom Orzakowski's lettering. Glynis Oliver and Petra Scotzi. Scotesi? Scotzi? They're, they're coloring. And Nocenti's the editor. And Jim Shooter's the editor-in-chief. It is a cover by Brett Blevins with Rick Parker. Hmm. Okay. Well, we get uh, a little narration by Alex Summers, who's also known as Havoc, as he's visiting the mansion, and he mentions that he's never liked this place. It's just too many bad memories. And I don't really recall bad memories from Havoc at the mansion, do you? I feel like Cliff uh, Claremont is trying to rewrite the character a little bit in this story. I mean, the old story certainly made it seem as though Havoc was less interested in the hero business than his brother Scott Summers, but not that he hated the place. Well, he says, too many memories are bad, and here I learned the truth about myself, and that revolution revelation destroyed any chance of living a normal life. So I guess it just reminds him that he's a mutant, and that's why he never liked the place. So he breaks into the mansion. He finds that Cerebro has been destroyed. Uh, Storm's loft is empty. The danger room is empty. Everything's empty until he opens a door and the X-Men are waiting for them, including Magneto. And he's like, oh, welcome home, Havoc. Trust a bad penny to turn up when you least expect it and least want it. Um, and yeah, they, the X-Men look like they do on the cover. Mm-hmm. Wolverine is not here for some reason. And neither is Rogue, although... And Rogue's not here either. Havoc although, does, as he's, as he's walking through, he's like, Rogue and Wolverine aren't here. Or maybe that's later. No, he doesn't mention that. But it doesn't matter, because around the corner, Rogue comes around and gives him a big smooch. 
She used to be a crook, too. She steals powers and psyches. Now she's after mine, and yep, big old badly drawn kiss. <laughs> Although I think that the this art in this section of the comic fits. Like, if they could have done this by Bill Blevins and Dan Green, and then the rest could have been Mark Silvestri and Dan Green, I think it would have worked. Because we find out that this is just a bad dream. All of the... Yeah. X-Men are, are uh, over him, like, laughing. They got big, silly grins, and they all kind of morph into one, and it's just Rogue's distorted face that he sees until he wakes up and says, No! Stop, oh, stop, oh, please, my soul, her soul, no fair, have mercy, no mercy. This is this issue is brought to you by Chris Claremont putting strings of words together. Yeah. It happens he, a lot. He does that from time to time. But it's, it's one of his things. I like this part of the issue. Uh, Alex gets up. His his little concentric circles around his chest are uh, getting bigger and bigger, and those little black bubbles around him, and he runs outside. And uh, he has, he's, I guess he's so worked up and so stressed out that he has to release this huge plasma burst into the air. And he's, See, I had I had one problem with this thing, and, and it's a very technical thing that I couldn't get past. I couldn't figure out if the narrator was talking from the future or if it was talking from inside him as he's going. And the reason I had that problem was because he says, Winter's outside, the high mesa where we live, bitter cold, don't notice don't care but i did notice because i just mentioned it <laughs> uh he's like he's writing a journal entry like the day after yeah i feel like this this is like a narration from like the future which is weird i yeah because uh, everything is present tense yeah i run from the from the woman and the home i love before i destroy them both it's all in the present tense just, I don't know. I, I, I've never had this thought. I've never been taken out of a comic book like this before. Hmm. I never really th thought about it, but yeah, I, I, neither can, I, can, I. I can see where you're, where you're coming from. But I can also see that this is like him the next day thinking about what happened the other day and just being uber dramatic about the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> Dear diary. <laughs> Stars live in space. She's in primal chill of absolute zero. But yeah, I mean, other other than that one thing, which like was like, wait a minute, <laughs> uh, this is pretty cool. He does he does as you say, have to uh, exercise his powers, and he fires them up into the sky, uh, all across the Milky Way. A man flashing bright as any star, not too shabby. He hopes that there's no airplanes flying above, and he hopes, or he's glad that the shuttle's not out tonight. You know, good things. Lorna comes out. He and, and the other cool thing is as he's discharged all this power, uh, he has, I believe, turned the sand beneath him into glass. Yes. Which is uh, left um, uh, below him as he is kind of hunched over. Lorna comes out, puts a blanket over him uh, and, you know, I don't know. Come back in, baby. Let me take care of you. Yeah, he's in shock and she's. She's uh, manipulating things with her metal powers. He thinks to himself, usually it's fun to watch. Lorna Dane's a mutant too, codenamed Polaris. She controls magnetism. And he reveals that this is not the first time that he's had a dream. He's had it every every night since he returned from New York. Um, and then he mentions that he, he, he recently visited the mansion to try to figure out where the X-Men were. He went there, they were fine, and he came back home. But he feels like his memory is wrong. And we, as the reader, also know that something is off because we never saw this happen. Right. Whatever 
Alex is talking about has happened between the last issue and this issue, which if this is to be believed means Rogue and Wolverine, uh, I'm sorry, Rogue or Wolverine and Storm have made it back to the mansion as well as everybody else. Right. So So the team is reconvened. Alex went to meet them and they're like, no, man, everything's cool. Why don't you head back to the the desert? But Havoc here, he's like, nope, something's wrong. X-Men are in trouble or I'm going crazy. I got to figure it out, though. Whatever it takes. So he packs a bag and he's heading back to New York and Lorna wants to go with him, but he says he's got to do it on his own for some reason. Uh, I guess so that the plot can proceed. Really, why wouldn't you want Lorna Dane with you? Yeah, she's a mutant. She got powers. I mean, they could help augment one another. Heck, right now she flies the Jeep to the airport. Yeah, why don't they just fly? That's pretty awesome. Why don't they just fly the Jeep to Westchester? (laughs) (laughs) It'd be like all Harry Potter and stuff. Um, yeah, so, uh, what I guess I'm not clear on is why Havoc went to visit the X-Men in the first place. If it's to warn them about the brood star shark thing, that's, that's one thing, but they don't mention that here at all. It's just, he went to go visit the X-Men and they were fine. You're right. I totally forgot about that because it is not mentioned in this entire Mm -hmm. issue. Yeah, I he, felt like the implication was that he tried calling at some point, but was unable to reach anybody. So he went there on to to actually see somebody. Yeah, but everybody knows that the X Men are you know either in the Savage Land or in space or whatever. Usually, just completely yeah. unavailable. And I wonder what he. I wonder if he's seen any X Factor ads, and he's like, "What the hell is my brother doing?" Well, I don't think he has, yeah. as we'll find out later in this issue. It's a good point. So uh, as they're flying away in the Lorna magnetism-powered car, we see, I think, awesome silhouettes of Sabretooth, Scalp Hunter, and Arclight. Yeah, if you can call anything about Scalp Hunter awesome. <laughs> this this uh, silhouette is. <laughs> Sabretooth's like, we could nail them both. Now, easy as sin. But Arclight says, nope, orders are to wait. The boy's not our concern. And Skelpunter says, how, how are we going to nail them? They're in a flying car really far away. <laughs> well, Skelpunter could probably shoot them. Harpoon <laughs> could throw a harpoon at them. Tell you what, Sabretooth, I'll throw you at them. <laughs> the Marauders' next target, my friends, is Polaris, says Skelpunter. So Alex does make it back to the school, and he finds pretty much the, everything he saw in his dream. The house is empty, Cerebro is ruined. But he does find Magneto's diary and finds out that Magneto has a meeting at the Hellfire Club. Which, if it's true that it's today's date, as he mentions, and that means that we saw this scene in New Mutants and Magneto and Storm are there right now. Yeah, yeah, that seems to work I, out. I guess. I mean, it works. Uh, meanwhile, back in New Mexico, uh, Scalp Hunter builds a gun because that's his mutant power is to take pieces off of his body and make a gun. He says any defense she can create, Scalp Hunter can craft the weapon to smash it. So he's like evil forge. Okay. Like, sure. That makes sense. So he's got the ability to be like, what's the best weapon for this situation? Aha, uh-huh, I've got it. Uh, Lorna is writing, I don't know, let's say she's writing in a diary as well. But she's also gazing at a picture of her Alex. Just wishes that Alex could be here because there's a storm brewing. It'd be nice if her boy was there to ride it out with her. She says she's caught her mood. She's nervous as a spooked cat. Don't know why. It's like there's a storm. And um, I'm rereading this. I, I now, this, this, these words take on more weight. Yeah, yeah. 
which we'll find out at the end of the issue. Yeah. Uh, as she's thinking this, though, Arc Light attacks by creating a little thunderclap on the ground towards the house. And as she's falling over, she shouts, Earthquake! But that's impossible. The land's tectonically stable. And she's, is she an archaeologist or a, or a geologist? She's a geo-archaeolo-therapist. Sure. So she knows about the ground. And this shouldn't yeah. be happening. She's also m- magnetically aware of all the tectonic plates. Sure. I buy all that. <laughs> Scalp Hunter starts firing into the house uh, and is like, okay, well, that's it. We're done. Uh, Sabretooth says, no, you guys missed. The skirt's still alive. And he bolts in. Uh, Sabretooth sounding a lot like Wolverine and looking a lot like a Sam Keith drawing. Yes. Yeah. I was wondering, uh, although Sam Keith, doesn't he draw like a much bigger body? Yeah, well... (laughs) <laughs> just I'm looking. I'm just looking at this face. Sure, sure, sure. So maybe Sam Keith was inspired by this. He's like, you know what's missing? Bigger bodies. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Meanwhile, in Manhattan at the Hellfire Club, Alex shows up and is given a welcome, which which is weird. And the one of the Hellfire underwear women is like, Professor Xavier, we'll see you in the library. I guess this isn't Tessa. No, this is just a maid or something. Oh, right. Magneto's adopted a cover identity, pretending to be the real Professor Xavier's mysterious, long-lost older cousin. That's a story that just doesn't get much traction, does it? I feel like <laughs> they it's, keep bringing it back up. I feel like it's completely unnecessary. Like, I don't know anybody reading this would care if Magneto was going by his real name and not Professor. I mean, I guess it makes sense, right? Because he's a wanted felon, but I don't think anybody really cares. Maybe Chris Claremont had a plan with that, that he never really fell through that could or be. followed followed through on. And uh, he he and Alex uh, meet as well as Emma Frost. Alex, uh, oh, what an unexpected surprise to see you again so soon. And this must be weird for Alex, although he never, I don't think he ever fought the Hellfire Club, but he knows that the Hellfire Club is bad and he knows that Magneto is bad. Why is this all tied to the X-Men? This must be truly weird for him. And so Magneto says to see you again so soon. Okay, so so he's corroborating Alex's story that Alex did see the X-Men and they were fine. Yep. It's true, lad. Xavier's school and Hellfire Club have formed an alliance. And in no doubt, and in time, we'll no doubt evolve into the best of friends. Alex doesn't believe it. How could the X-Men have a truce with the Hellfire Club? Storm's idea, says Magneto. And then Alex says, I want to hear that from her. I have to see them. And this is where I kind of start hating Alex in this issue. He just comes across as a jerk. That's not possible. How convenient. Why not, Magneto? Where are they? What the devil's happened? And I feel like better writing could convey him less as a jerk and more as somebody who just doesn't know what's going on. Maybe maybe it's the art, too. His faces just look like he's super angry. Yeah. A lot of the, I don't know, a lot of the motivations for this entire issue, I, I kind of question. There's only one good element, and that's at the end. But all the rest of this stuff just doesn't really quite seem to make sense. The whole mystery about Alex's dreams, why the X-Men are doing what they're doing. I feel like I this could be a really good mysterious issue, but something, either the writing or the art or the combination of the two, just misses the mark somehow. I, I agree. Um, Magneto says these are dangerous times, Havoc. Uh, more than the X-Men's lives are at stake, even more than the survival of mutant kind, the fate of the world hangs in the balance. I don't know why that is. 
And only Magneto can leave us to salvation, is that it? Don't make me laugh! Blast! For all my good intentions, my good works, always am I hung, hamstrung by my past. <laughs> well, whatever. So he's wondering what he should do. Uh, he heads over to the Avengers, but their mansion has been destroyed. Courtesy of the Masters of Evil, yep. according to the caption. I feel like this is a running joke in the Marvel Universe. Like People want to go talk to the Avengers, but their mansion is destroyed. Seems like it's a running joke in the uh, in the X Men. I'm I'm surprised. Like if if the Fantastic Four happened to be in space, he probably would have visited them. Yeah, that's true. Uh, he calls Moira McTaggart, but uh, uh, Callisto answers and says, "I don't know where they are. Contact them through Magneto." What about my brother Scott? Do you know where I Do can you know where reach... I can reach Cyclops? Try the yellow pages, she says, and hangs up. The heck's all that about? A simple, civil question, yet she darn near bites my head off. And in the background is an X-Factor Mutant Investigations and Resolutions bus banner. Scott was a founding member of the X-Men. If anyone besides Lorna could set me straight, I'd figure it'd beat him. So he does, he still, I guess he doesn't know where Scott is, and he doesn't know what an X-Factor is. And this is this is what we need to him, like, like these pages are kind of selling the idea that he's a little bit on edge. Yes. And nothing really before this has been doing that. If this, if these things could have been sprinkled through the issue and not just done in a montage and maybe he catches up with random X-Men and they're like, Oh no, everything's fine. And then they kind of brush him off and leave. Then maybe yeah. you get yourself, I don't know, kind of an interesting story. Anyways, back in New Mexico, um, Sabretooth is hunting Polaris and uh, she's hiding behind a rock. Is this where she says something about how, oh no, not yet. She's thinking to herself about how she won't last the night. And um, like you said, Sabretooth sneaks up on her. That's when she pulls the rock up from, uproots it. It's a very large rock and she tries to crush Sabretooth with it. And she says, the one of the reasons they chose to live in this particular place is the strong iron content of the local rock strata. So, Everything around them is a weapon for her to magnetically attack Sabretooth with, which is good. Yeah, but he's stronger. He's able to bust through her magnetic chains, so to say. And uh, he's like, you got to think about killing, girl. That's what makes you weak. With me, it's second nature. So he's going in for the kill, but she's able to use some, I don't know, acrobatics to get away. Scalp she flies. Oh, that's she right. uses the magnetic waves so she can fly away. Scalp Hunter shoots like a light web energy gun at her and it looks like it's uh, knocked her down and she says it hurts oh lord can't cry want to scream alex be with me so scared why me why me hurts cold dying which is very close to what alex said when he was waking up and i was i don't know if that's intentional or if just it was just because it's chris claremont writing both of it yeah i think it's that's what chris claremont writes when he wants to convey confusion and panic just just a bunch of words strung together with periods in them that's what i think anyways uh havoc dons his havoc outfit and uh follows magneto because he's it's about time for him to figure out what's going on we get a very skinny looking havoc which i kind of <laughs> like yeah yeah i mean he's He's not supposed to be as, you know, buff or refined as the rest of these superheroes because it's just not his gig. I mean, he jogs and he watches what he eats, but he's not crazy fit. <laughs> <laughs> and he follows Magneto into the uh, the subway or the, 
sewer, I guess. The subway, and he goes down a maintenance walkway and down into a tunnel. Alex follows him. Um, they're they're on the side of the tracks. So he uh, a train is coming, and Alex opens the door and and falls through a hatch where for some reason there's no ladder at all. It looks like at least, and he's falling and falling, and he grabs for anything and gets lucky. What looks very painful, he grabs the rung of the ladder and is able to climb down. I'm imagining this looks like this happens uh, a lot quicker than what appears here. Yeah, I would imagine that this is all within a matter of seconds that all of the, these four or five panels are happening. He heads down. He's like, oh, these must be the Morlock Tunnels. Scott told me about them. A street gang of mutants that chose to live way underground instead of on the surface. Nice neighborhood. But where are they? Well, and then he's like, these walls have been scorched recently. Anything that was down here wouldn't have stood a prayer. What happened? Thor happened. Yeah, as we keep being reminded. And that's when he stumbles across Storm, Psylocke, Longshot, Magneto, and Dazzler. And Storm gives a very long speech about things that we already know from the past few issues. And then she says, what we need to do in order to fight the Marauders, who wiped out the Morlocks, is... We need to fake our deaths, and that there that way we'll we'll gain the advantage. The solution to our dilemma is to find another way which allows us to regain the initiative, and that means the X Men must die. I do like this panel of Storm at the bottom. It's, yeah, that's a good it's panel. Good, mm-hmm. It's good lighting. And he's like, I'm in another nightmare. Uh, and that's purple-haired woman, Psylocke, English, nice voice, speaks. But Storm. Oh. <laughs> How do, How we, do fool? we fool those who will undoubtedly be looking for any such deception? Smart, too. I was wondering the same thing, thinks uh, Havoc. When from behind him, Rogue appears almost just like his dream, but he is able to zap her out of the way. But he uses a lot of his powers, and he's like, oh, man, if that had been anybody but Rogue, they'd have been killed. I'd have been a murderer. So at this point, we're supposed to accept that Alex has gone completely mad. I guess. Um, Because he's like striking out at people. He's like freaking out. And I I feel like we're just supposed to be there. We're just not there. We got these extreme close-ups where he looks completely panicked. Yeah. Meanwhile, back in New Mexico, it's very foggy out for some reason. Um, She's scrambling. uh, Phalaris is scrambling the electronics of uh, Scalp Hunter. Arclight is also there and they get... uh, a saber tooth tossed out of the fog at them, knocking uh, Scalp Hunter down. Uh, saber tooth is unconscious at this point. The ground opens up, and in a cool panel—not the first one so much, but the second panel—the Earth swallows up uh, Arc Light, and all that you can see is her head sticking out from the ground. If I could move even the tiniest little bit, I could trigger a shockwave strong enough to free me, but I can't. Scalp Hunter's weapons start removing from his body and start smacking him in the face. Yeah, Scalp Hunter is not very helpful against Polaris, as it should be. But this just goes to show Magneto should have been in the tunnels. Heck yeah, yeah. He'd have been very valuable. Uh, Havok, meanwhile, is getting attacked by various bits of metal from within the tunnels. But Havoc's able to blast through them. Dazzler shoots him with a Dazzle Blast. Longshot uses some of his luck to pull Dazzler out of the way of Havoc's blast. 
He fires another blast that would have killed the Dazzler because um, he's just having a really bad day. Luckily, because his power is luck, yeah. Longshot saves her. Halak, have you lost your senses? Are you trying to kill us? Wonders my Psylocke storm hybrid voice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm working on it too. Depends, lady, on what you guys intended by ambushing me at the mansion. You said he would not remember, says Storm. Let's say, hi to It's revealed here that the X-Men's, like, Havoc did come for a visit. The X-Men were there. And I guess in order to protect Havoc from everything that was happening, they decided to monkey with his brains and convince him that everything was okay and send him back to New Mexico, which doesn't make any sense. No, it especially doesn't make any sense because they've been running around trying to find people that the Marauders might attack. And save them. And save them. And every one of them has either been uh, uh, killed or is missing. So what do they do? They send Havoc back where he is, well, Polaris is, is attacked. So this this whole plan of the X-Men does not make any sense. I think they just don't like Havoc. <laughs> it really seems that way because you'd, you'd think that Storm would be like, well, Havoc, we got a tough decision that you and Lorna need to make. The Marauders struck out at, at the Morlocks. They struck out at us. Many of us are hurt. Many of us are damaged. The best plan of action is for us and the people that we love the most to be close together so that we can watch each other's backs to figure out what to do. Do you and Polaris want to help out? Now, if Havoc is like, you guys are crazy and I want nothing to do with you, then maybe you make the case that, like, all right, wipe his mind, send him back to New Mexico. You know what? I almost buy that because the Havoc in this issue is very unlikable. So he probably got to the mansion and he was like, hey, whatever. <laughs> I don't want to be a part of your freedom cause. It's especially evident in this panel of his face here. He just looks like a total jerk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, if we, um, if we assume that that what I said happens, then all of this makes sense. Uh, if we assume that Hatbuck just came for uh, a checkup and and they wiped his mind to protect him, then this whole story makes no sense. <laughs> so uh, Betsy says she can't mind wipe him again because apparently there's a limitation on mind wipes. Nobody told the professor that. <laughs> well, not only that, uh, the reason that this mind wipe didn't stick is because the professor taught his students too well to 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 prevent attacks like this and and to do it again would definitely cause some permanent damage so betsy suggests that they uh kill havoc because they just don't like him have we any other options wolverines kill him <laughs> i don't I'll do it <laughs> <laughs> i don't know what scares me more psylocke's suggestion or the fact that storm takes it seriously now that doesn't make sense either like why why did the x-men like, why would the X-Men want to kill Havoc? Yeah, this, this, yeah, this, this is, I think it's because he's, he's just a jerk. I mean, he's really rubbing them all the wrong way. The only way this makes sense is, is if Havoc has discovered their secret master plan for dying or for, for faking their deaths, which they haven't come up with that plan. They just, they want to be dead so that they can strike out. Uh, but the only way this makes sense is if Havoc has found out what their plan is to die and is like, nah, you guys, I don't want to join your plan. And he's susceptible to influence by the Marauders. Yeah, and he's also like, oh, and by the way, I got a phone call at three o'clock with the Marauders. I'm probably <laughs> going to tell him about your plan. Some guy named Mr. Sinister wants to talk <laughs> about your plans to die. So I'm going to have that. Uh, catch ya. 
Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, I guess the reason that Chris Claremont has Betsy say it is because we're still figuring Betsy out. It seems like at the beginning, she's always kind of making these very serious uh, judgment calls. I guess, yeah. Uh, and so, but I mean, they, everybody should turn and be like, what? Betsy? No. <laughs> That's not what the X-Men do. That's not what the X-Men are about. We save people and mutants. We're the freaking X-Men. So apparently the X-Men tell Havoc all about the Marauders, the Morlocks, and an evil entity named Malice who gets inside your skull and twists thoughts and feelings and actions and desires into the nastiest of directions. And then they're like, uh... Oh, and then Havoc's like, oh my god, that's crazy. I'll join your team. Yeah, it's like they win them over really easily. Which makes me wonder, it's like, why didn't you just do this in the first place? Well, and for a guy that's never really wanted to be in the hero business, for the X-Men to be like, the stakes have never been more dangerous. <laughs> Everybody's dying. He's like, okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm cool. In. I'll join. A war has begun, Alex Summers, or Alex Summers, of Mutants versus uh, Mutant. Here was fought the first battle. Here fell the first casualty. They will not be the last. Says Magneto cryptically. Yeah, which I, I like this drawing of Magneto. Yeah, I'm I'm good with the drawing. It's it's it's, it's a little exaggerated, but it works. It's kind of like horror reality, Magneto. But nowhere in here is he like I owe a lot to Xavier's school and his dream and the team. I'd like to help if you'll have me, and I'd like to call Lorna too. <laughs> he. He thinks of Lorna on this page, but yeah, he doesn't. I would think that that would be the first thing would be like, you know, I called Lorna earlier in the issue and she didn't pick up. Um, We really got to get her on board. We're going to do that, right, guys? Yeah, like maybe we should. uh, Let's get on the X jet right now, head to New Mexico and figure out why she's not answering the phone. Because when I left her, she said she was just going to write in her diary and stare at a picture of me. And she's not doing that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, then... Meanwhile, in New Mexico, we find out what actually happens. Apparently, Lorna Dane took off all of her clothes and is floating in some green uh, mist. Bizarre. Which, <laughs> you know, like I said, this this is probably the third X-Men comic I've read in chronology. And I'm like, there's naked women in this comic. <laughs> yes. And you can even see a teeny bit of her butt. <laughs> this is super, super exciting. We never saw nothing like this in G.I. Joe. <laughs> And so she's like, lame, so lame, the big bad marauders against one little girl. It's pathetic. You guys are the worst. And uh, Arclight says, what are you going to do with us? Lead you, of course, as Mr. Sinister always intended. And I've always liked this picture of Sabretooth because he's got his teeth all gritted and he yells out, Malice, you possessed her. It's like, I don't know. It just seems <laughs> unnecessarily uh, angry about this situation. But I guess these, I guess the Marauders had no idea that the plan was for Malice to possess Lorna and for Lorna Malice to lead the Marauders. Well, as Malice explains that she has been in possession of Lorna Dane since she dropped off uh, Havoc at the airport, uh, very similar to the way where she was just kind of inside Dazzler for a while kind of steering things. Mm -hmm. So the ominous feeling that Lorna mentioned that she had earlier in the issue makes a little more sense because it was malice. Although I went through the issue after this page and uh, looked for her her neck uh, to see if she had the little uh, collar on her neck. And it looks like she has it in one panel and the rest of it, not so much. I looked back as well, and on page 13, when she's being threatened by um, 
Sabretooth. I mean, I feel like they were trying to put her neck in shadows for the majority of the issue, kind of like what they did uh, in the Dazzler issue. But here it really looks like she doesn't have anything on her neck because you, you do yes. get kind of a full on view of her neck. Everything else, uh, she's either you got her back to us or her hair's in the way or whatever. But On page nine, it looks like she's wearing a necklace, but the rest of it, yeah, yeah you see too much of, of her yeah. neck. Yeah. Anyhow, whatever. Um, interesting. She has, for some reason, a over-exaggerated Wolverine haircut, complete with what looks like mutton chops. She's got a ready-made outfit that she puts on. It's uh, all black leather and spandex. Purple purple little uh, shoulders and spiky boots and gloves. And a little face mask yep. over the eyes, which don't really do anything. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's cool looking. I, that, I don't mind this costume. I thought she should have just been like, I'm so powerful, I don't even need a costume. And she would have just done the whole thing naked. (laughs) I'm going to lead you naked, not even care. Come close to me and I'll kill you because I'm that powerful. Woo woo. So there you go. Uh, And as I was saying earlier, like most of this story doesn't make sense and isn't very cool, except for this part, I think is pretty neat with Polaris being coming a, a major character through the possession of Malice. I liked all of the Polaris stuff. I liked her fighting the Marauders, fighting for her life. All of that was good. Um, I like Lorna and Alex's relationship. I didn't, like, I didn't, I already pointed out all the stuff that I didn't like. Mostly it was Alex stuff. Yeah, no. He, I, he just rubbed me the wrong way in this issue. And it didn't, it didn't make any sense. I guess I've never really thought of the uh, Alex being a jerk angle. Um, the only thing that ever struck me as weird about this issue was just how it didn't make any sense. <laughs> like, why <laughs> well, the are... Alex being a jerk angle doesn't even make sense? Like, because in the end, he's just like, oh, I'll join you guys. Yeah, that's a great idea. We should do that. We should work together. Um, yeah. So there you go. X-Men 219, two thumbs down, or <laughs> maybe maybe two thumbs sideways. I give it a thumb sideways. I mean, some, some good stuff happens, just most of it the, is not good. The, uh, the, the characterization of Dazzler was really compelling for the last two issues, and it's a very similar sort of thing where it's all this kind of written thoughts. That's, this Alex just didn't, just didn't work for me, which doesn't mean it's a bad issue. It just didn't work for me. No, it was a bad issue. All right. <laughs> it was weak. Uh, I feel like it was phoned in, maybe. Oops. Well, maybe that's because Coast Carmel was too busy writing Fantastic Four versus X-Men, which we will learn about next time. That could very well be. Well, uh, let us know what you think or what you're thinking or whatever. Visit us at... <laughs> Give us a call. Let us know what you're thinking. <laughs> yeah, you know. Tell us your thoughts, your dreams. Uh, we're at www.xmenpodcast.com, facebook.com forward slash Danger Room Podcast. Twitter us at Danger Room Go. Email us, Danger Room at xmenpodcast.com. Go out to iTunes, go to the podcast section, type us in Danger Room. We're the only pod, you're the first podcast, anyways, that'll show up. Uh, and you can also call us at 501 Get X Men. That's 501 438 9636. Our theme music is. As always, provided by Laszlo Hollyfeld, and I read some X Factor. Oh, did you? I did. I did. Would you like to hear I about it? To, I have to tell you, I read this issue too, and oh, <laughs> oh, good. We have something to talk about then. 
This was not a good month of comics for me. Wow. All right. So here's what, what I got for this. Uh, X-Factor has returned from San Francisco with a frozen Iceman. Rusty is able to keep him thawed out, but that's the only way he's keeping him thawed out. Scott continues to make Phoenix innuendos, much to Cameron Hodge's pleasure. Rusty and Skids kiss, but kids, Skids freaks out because she doesn't want them to end up like Scott and Jean. Cameron talks frankly to Scott about Maddie, Jean, and Phoenix. Scott asks how Cameron knows all this, and Cameron says that it's all in the computer. Scott lets or Scott tells Rusty about his love of Jean and uses the encounter on the butt as his example. Remember the butt? Yeah, I do. I yeah. was excited to see the butt again. There was the butt. That was my only reference of the butt until we actually read that issue. And the artwork <laughs> looks the same, so I don't know if they just lifted those panels or if they redrew them. I didn't go back and check, but they looked... Uh, very familiar to what we had read in whatever X-Men issue that was. It was probably, I think, I feel like uh, it was probably referenced and redrawn. Okay. Uh, Jean hears this and she drops a bed that she was carrying for Richter. Uh, later on, Richter loses control of his powers when Cameron Hodge walks into a training session. Later, Richter reveals to Scott that Cameron sounds like the leader of the right, the group that kidnapped him originally. Scott decides to use the computer to look up Cameron, but Phoenix shows up and enters Jean's body as she shows up to confront Scott about all this Phoenix stuff. Scott grabs Jean and tries to force her to admit she's uh, the Phoenix, and from there they fight. Gids finds them fighting and is told to get out. I like the panel where it's like, get out from the two. Yeah, no, it was good. I like that panel. So she leaves and tries to figure out how to break up the fight. After quite a bit of fighting and bickering about the meaning of love, Jean seemingly knocks Scott out. But as she approaches, uh, he grabs her and pulls off his goggles. He does not blast her with his deadly eyes and says that this is proof that she is the phoenix. But to Scott's horror, it turns out that Skids found Leech and brought him to stop their powers. He runs off babbling about Phoenix when Rusty discovers that any button that is pushed on the computer displays a, a hologram of Phoenix. They realize that they <laughs> must confront Cameron Hodge and meanwhile, a man with a blonde eyebrow is offered the ability to fly and get revenge from Apocalypse. Which uh, I guess is I guess is a big mystery. Yeah. Who could this man be? <laughs> um... So you didn't care for this issue? I I um I liked the 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 Scott and Gene stuff where they where they're talking and I like the stuff where he's remembering the butt. Uh, <laughs> but he lost me when Cameron Hodge built a uh hologram to come out of the computer dressed like Phoenix. Well, Adam. And and that, and that makes Scott flip out. It was just like, come on. That's just stupid. I'm sorry. It's just stupid. It took us to a good place in the end. Yes. Which I really, I really like the confrontation between Scott and Gene. But man, getting there was a slog. <laughs> Fortunately, the Gene hologram is less than a page. Like it, it, she appears, she kind of floats around and says some cryptic things, and then as Gene enters, the hologram goes into Gene. Which you know, kudos to Cameron for figuring out what that timing was going to be and programming the hologram <laughs> to do that. Because that that's amazing. Um, I I don't mind that because it's a comic book and I can suspend some belief or disbelief. <laughs> And also, Cameron Hodge is the leader, I mean, spoilers, he's the leader of the right, and as we find out, he's got a lot of resources at his disposal. Mm. He can build mm. a hologram. He he's going to build robots and battle suits and stuff. He can put together a hologram. 
Okay. <laughs> but but for the a hologram that not only like it comes out of the computer, it goes across <laughs> the room with Scott. It communicates with him. It answers like questions, like it, it interacts <laughs> with Scott. So it's got like AI built into it. Either that or Cameron Hodge is like, okay. I have four pre-programmed responses to anything Scott says. So I'm envisioning uh, Cameron at the control room, wherever that is, and he's like manually manipulating the Phoenix, and he's like, oh my god, Gene's entering the door, perfect, and hits the button, and that's when Phoenix dives into the Gene. <laughs> I'm willing to let that belief happen. Uh, the descent into madness of Scott, I, I feel like, was has been... Uh, delivered better in previous issues than in this one. Oh, for sure. <laughs> I mean, this is like, oh yeah, by the way, remember how we were trying to make you think that Scott's going crazy? Well, here's some more. <laughs> uh, but I mean, it's also not out of left field because we have had two or three other issues where he's talking to himself or fighting with himself. Yeah. So anyways, I I, I think it's still a pretty strong, I think it's a stronger episode or issue than uh, the X-Men was this month. It ended up in a good place. So I, I can, I can uh, forgive it for that. <laughs> uh, I read new mutants number 54, which was, continues off the last issue where as the hellfire club party rages on, Karma sneaks into the tunnels underneath the manor and takes over Tessa's mind in order to access their mutant database for information about her missing siblings. But she finds that the Hellfire Club has no info. Sebastian Shaw catches her in the act, but Tessa realizes Karma was acting out of desperation and speaks on her behalf. And then Magneto shows up and rescues her. The New Mutants and the Hellions settle on rules for their competition solving last issue's fake statue sale. The Mutants gather their new costumes. We get to see the new costumes again with the pink bandanas. But Karma neglects to join but promises to cover for them if Magneto notices that they are missing from the party. Rain quickly tracks sense from the statue exchange and discovers that Viper and Silver Samurai are behind it. And this worries Mirage that the Hellions are in over their head against those two. The team heads to Limbo, where Magic is able to spy on the Hellions, learning that they are headed to Shooter's Island. Is that like a recurring place? I wrote it down. I've never heard of Shooter's Island. No. Okay. Well, we'll see. That's not to say it's not a thing, right? I've not read that. It's a good name. I don't know if it's a real place or not, but I like the the name. Shooter's Island. Uh, The New Mutants get there first and take out all the guards there. Magma wants to end all of their lives, but Cannonball stops her. During the scuffle, Doug is shot, but his costume saves him. The New Mutants then find that the Hellions have already captured Silver Samurai and Viper, having tricked the New Mutants into taking out the mob of Viper soldiers, leaving the main targets to the Hellions. Uh, Mirage concedes victory to Thunderbird. The big problem with this is that now the Silver Samurai and Viper were taken out by a bunch of teenagers. Oh, well. So much for them being a threat. Want, want. Back at the party, Karma has left a note that she has abandoned the team to return to her crime lord uncle's employ as he might be the best chance to her finding her missing brother and sister. Mm. So Fallen Angels 3 um, begins, like, imagine imagine this is a movie. You're going into a movie called Fallen Angels. You don't know anything about mutants or anything. You've never read a comic book. And we cut to black. Okay. And it, it opens with black and we we get a voiceover. My name is Roberto da Costa. I am 14 years old. I am a mutant, a living solar battery known as Sunspot. Until recently, I was part of a team of heroes, but I have fled from my friends, for I know now that I am an evil man and should be left alone. 
My friend, Warlock, an organic machine from another planet, has come with me to share my life as a lonely outcast. That sounds like a great movie. Yeah, I'm in. I'm 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 ready to see the movie. Uh, but yeah, it was not to be. This 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 series is a mess. I mean, it's worth reading, but <laughs> it is it is all over the place. So, uh pretty much nothing happens in this issue, but there's a lot to talk about. Uh Roberto Warlock and Jamie settle in at the Beat Street Club which is the home of the fallen angels who are revealed to be a group of powered individuals described as misfits who weren't going to make it as heroes or didn't think it was worth the try. Meanwhile, another Jamie and Siren continue the search for Roberto and Warlock, and Jamie explains that each Madrox is not a copy, but an individual with his own life and memories. We see a yet another Jamie who has broken away from the pack and finds the prospect of recombining with the others to be like dying. I expect that to be a major plot point. The dozen or so Madroxes at Beat Street, however, combine into one Jamie with no worry. The Vanisher appears to lead the Fallen Angels, tossing out orders, and after Chance, Chance and Ariel return with some presumably stolen food from McNutley's, <laughs> Gomi, <laughs> Gomi, which is Japanese for garbage, tells his story about how he fell in with two college-level scientific geniuses who were obsessed with cybernetics and Marvel Girl. They even have the pinup from an old issue of X-Men oh. from like... Like in the 30s or whatever, the one where she's all like, oh, boys. That's that's the 60s, not the 30s, but. Okay, fine. Sure. <laughs> the 60s. Okay. I think it was maybe a Neil Adams issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they, the two develop cybernetically enhanced super lobsters. And after Marvel Girl is replaced by Phoenix, which this issue claims that nobody realizes they're the same person. I, it's it's confusing. It's like these guys are smart enough to be like, oh, they're the same person, but apparently nobody else realizes that. I don't think anybody ever noticed anything. Anyway, the the two science guys don't like uh, Phoenix. They're disappointed and start to build a cybernetic being to match Jean Grey, but eventually they uh, run out of funds and implant that cybernetic being into Gomi, who ends up with a kind of telekinesis that he can't control. He just pushes things. Hmm. Ariel, although she says she's not a mutant, also has a power, which is the ability to open doors to any other place that has doors. She shows off her power by rescuing Boom Boom from X-Factor in the scene that we saw last episode in your X-Factor summary. Siren and Jamie also find X-Factor building with their portable Cerebro unit, which makes no sense because Cerebro was destroyed, and eventually find uh, the Fallen Angels. Afterwards, Ariel teleports them all to an outdoor garden to explain why she and the Vanisher have gathered them all together. So, a lot of explanation, not much happens. <laughs> okay. But just it's interesting to read as a footnote of characters that you don't like, I, I didn't know any of these characters had this weird eight-part limited series. Yeah, that's a lot of issues, too. Yeah. I and mean, it sounds like they're going to tie in more people. Like, in in the issue of X-Factor that we read, um, Bobby and Hank are like, we better go find Boom Boom. Right. When did they start calling her Boom Boom? Was that an X-Factor? Uh, don't Doesn't she go by Boom Boom in Secret Wars? And I thought she was like time bomb or something. Oh. In 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 Fallen Angels, uh, Ariel refers to her as Tabitha, time bomb, boom boom, whatever you're calling yourself. So yeah, I, I don't sure. remember. I guess I've only ever known her as boom boom, but I guess you're right. She was time bomb for a minute. Yeah. Oh well. Hmm. So that's that's that. Well, that's that's something, all right. Tune in next week. 
Yeah. For the Fantastic Four. We, we become the Fantastic Forecast. Can't wait to start reading that. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, then, everybody, until next week, my name's Jeremy. My name's Adam. And the Danger Room is closed. Yeah.